This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 121, and I am interviewing Carla Korn, psychotherapist, body image, and eating disorder specialist about pre- and postnatal body image, the relationship between negative body image and postpartum depression, and navigating self-care as a parent. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 121. Before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to Sam Pash, who left this amazing review. I recently started listening to Summer and Fearless Rebel Radio, and now I can't get enough of it. Summer is so genuine and real, and her message to embrace who you are in every sense of the word is so peaceful and refreshing. Summer's guests offer a wealth of amazing information as well. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Love it. Well, I love that review. Thank you so much. And if you would be so kind as to take two minutes to leave a review, if you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate it so much. Leaving a review helps others to find the show. You can do that by heading to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. In addition to that, please subscribe to this show via iTunes or whatever platform you use. That also helps others to find this show by boosting it in the ratings. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today's guest is Carla Korn. Carla Korn, LMFT, is a psychotherapist, eating disorder, and body image specialist and has been an advocate for the treatment and prevention of eating disorders for nearly a decade in her therapeutic work, Carla draws upon her personal and professional experience, assisting others in their journeys to make peace with food and their bodies. She is committed to inspiring women to end their lifelong struggles to conform to unrealistic and arbitrary standards of physical beauty and passionate about enabling them to uncover and embrace their true self. She now meets with clients both in person and at her private practice and in Angora Hills, I hope I said that right, California, and online for those in California and New York. And you can find all of her work at CarlaCorn.com, which is Carla with a C and Corn with a K. There is so much to learn from this episode, even if you are child-free and have no interest in this stuff, all of the learnings can be applied. And so I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Being pregnant, it's been really interesting to kind of be in this whole new 
online space of pregnancy, I realize how much diet culture is embedded in it and how much fat phobia influences the way that people feel about their pre and postnatal bodies. And it's just really important stuff that we need to be debunking and unpacking and helping others to navigate. And I'm so grateful that Carla is here to help us with that today. So enjoy this episode. Welcome, Carla, to the show. Thank you. I'm so, so excited to be talking to you today. Me too. I feel like we're going to have a really good discussion. So I would love you to start out by telling our listeners how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, how I got to where I am today, long story, but, you know, sort of my own journey to becoming a therapist who specializes in eating disorders and in body image really began like a lot of my colleagues in the field, which is very strongly rooted in my own, my own history with an eating disorder and my own recovery. I guess I would say that I sort of arrived at the end of my undergraduate um, years with with no real direction or idea about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, you know, sort of dabbled with a career in law, which was sort of a focus for a, a long time. And, you know, it wasn't, was not a coincidence that my own eating disorder really, really took root around that time, around kind of that piece of trying to figure out direction. And of course, there's a lot to that. So following that, and I, as I sort of started my process and recovery and my work in therapy, I was doing a number of different kinds of jobs and sort of my first career, which was in communications and PR and different parts of the business world. And, you know, I was really kind of lucky that I had a therapist during this time who really allowed me to sort of explore my own values and figure out what I wanted out of my life and look at my own unique identity, Mm -hmm. which are things that I don't really ever remember looking at prior to that point in my life. And or really ever considering. And I think that was probably had a lot to do with what my eating disorder was doing for me and that my eating disorder really became my identity for a while. So I sort of struggled with that. Yeah. So, you know, and kind of out of that as I recovered and I, I sort of remember grappling with this idea of what is career going to mean to me and realizing that for me, it was going to need to be something that was not just like a job that I was doing what I was doing at the time, which was just going to these jobs where I really didn't feel invested in my work. And I would really need to find something that was going to be fulfilling for me in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once once I realized this, it really became crystal clear that becoming a therapist who worked with others struggling with eating disorders was my calling, which I think, you know, if you're working in the field a lot of time and you have your own history, it, it is, there's no other way to kind of describe it. Yeah. So, Yeah. And, you know, so I I went back to school to study psychology and to become a a therapist, you know, in that, you know, and I was really lucky early on to have a lot of amazing experiences sort of working in different treatment programs and different treatment centers and different kind of treatment philosophies and get some really good basis for treating eating disorders. And so also during that time frame, personally, it was when I found my husband and met my husband and got married, moved from the West Coast of California to New York City, was working in when the eating disorder treatment field. Then I had my first child and then I moved back to California and in the last year had another child. Okay. 
So, <laughs> yeah, so I have had all of this personal transition going on and also trying to kind of navigate, you know, my own professional identity and all of those things. And so, you know, it's only been in the last sort of several months following the birth of my second child that I set up my own business, my own practice, therapy practice. Yeah. And so what was pregnancy like for you as a recovered person, like having, you know, yeah, I assume you were probably just so grateful you had done all that work before. Yeah. And so that's, you know, to share kind of a really personal experience with my own recovery and then becoming pregnant. So I had been recovered for, you know, several years before I got pregnant with my first child and, you know, and also worked in the field for a while as an eating disorder therapist. So I sort of had all of this knowledge about, you know, how to sort of set my pregnancy up for the best to be the best for me, you know, for my mental health and my physical health around that specifically. So with my first pregnancy, I remember going in and really being really open with my OB that I didn't want to be really bothered by conversations about weight, that we were going to do blind weights during that, you know, that I didn't, which is where you sort of weigh yourself backwards and you don't want to be told. And that I really didn't want to have conversations about food, you know, because I, I kind of like knew what place for that, that that's all that stuff had for me in my life. And that I didn't want to be bothered by conversations about weight unless there was like a real serious concern. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll sort of get to that and what that means. So, you know, really what happened was I was probably in like my 36th week of pregnancy, <laughs> New York, summertime hot, sweaty. And I remember going to the doctor and seeing a different doctor in that practice than my regular OB and the doctor informing me that I had gained too much weight. Okay. And, you know, that was a pretty serious kind of blow for me. I remember breaking down in the doctor's office crying, you know, alone in the office with this doctor and, and crying and then sort of crying and then trying to figure out why am I crying and then feeling badly about the fact that I was crying because here I was an eating disorder therapist who had done all this work and kind of, you know, been feeling a lot of shame around feeling shame. Right. Yes, yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah, you know, sort of holding myself to a higher standard and then really being able to take a step back. And that's not to say that I wasn't like, sad for a while and kind of like trying to work through that, but really being able to take a step back and notice that um, it was okay that I was having those feelings, that I wasn't meant to be perfect. Kind of like figuring out where is that, like where was that coming from? You know, that idea that my doctor saying that I gained too much and sort of, that there is something sort of wrong with me that I had let myself go, mm -hmm. you know, that I had sort of let myself get out of control. And then sort of that, you know, thing that a lot of us have that sort of people pleasing of like, oh, like I did something wrong. I let someone down with this. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, it was really in that moment for me and not really in that moment, that moment sort of sucked, but really in reflecting on experience in my pregnancy and realizing that even someone like myself, who I kind of have all that education and experience and, and knowledge about eating disorders and body image, that's a really, really delicate time for people. It's a really vulnerable time for people. And if I was going through that, that everyone else who was going through that, that didn't have all kind of that knowledge and awareness to kind of like be able to to put, you know, pull themselves out of that or kind of understand what was going on there, that that can be a really triggering time for people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start talking about that some more. And obviously, like you can draw in your personal experience where you think it's applicable. But speaking of it being like this kind of delicate and vulnerable time for people and 
you know, what I've noticed being pregnant is just that there's so much pressure on women to only gain a certain amount of weight. Like there's, you know, these guidelines that are based on the BMI, which we know is Mm -hmm. BS. And I would love to know your thoughts on that. And for people who are thinking like, okay, I should only, you know, gain a certain amount or that can really have an impact on their body image. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, so there are all these sort of there are the messages that we get from our, our doctor, which are these guidelines, you know, like you mentioned about having to do with your pre-pregnancy BMI. And we, you know, as you know, that's a really, really problematic kind of classification for people. And then sort of all of the messages that we get externally too from, you know, that there's this idea that if we, that we should definitely not, you know, not diet during our pregnancies, but that if we gain, you know, too much weight that we've sort of let ourselves go. And that's just really not fair. That's just really not fair to our bodies. You know, that sort of gets at that really fundamental piece of diet culture, which is this distrust in our bodies. Yes. And that our bodies are somehow that they need, we need to be controlling them that we can't trust ourselves to, you know, eat to, you know, satiety, and that we can't trust our hunger. And, you know, if like a lot of women coming out of, you know, diet culture and becoming pregnant, you sort of don't have that ability to trust your body and to eat intuitively, it's going to be even harder when you're pregnant. You know, for some women, it can be a time where it can be really healing because the sort of messages you get from your body are a lot louder (laughs) than when you're not, you know, if you're able to kind of ignore hunger and fullness when you're not pregnant, you're going to have a lot harder time doing that when you are pregnant. Absolutely. Because our bodies are really, really smart. And they're going to, you know, I'm I'm sure, you know, you know, you're hungry, you're going to know it. And if you don't, (laughs) if you don't, you know, and it's and it can be really difficult, too, because, you know, during pregnancy, women are dealing with issues around nausea, food aversions, you know, all of those sort of cues. And so sort of like negotiating how to take care of your body and how to feed yourself in a way that's nurturing and self-compassionate is really important. Yeah, I think um, so. I love to observe things like that's, I'm, you know, I'm more introverted. I really like to just like observe things. And so I've been observing a lot. And by observing, I mean, you know, I kind of go to like these like pregnancy message boards where people are at similar stage to me. And, you know, there's a lot of and then I also I've worked with clients who have gone through pregnancy before they started to do this work. And a lot of times like it actually does encourage like that kind of like surrender because you really just don't have control when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it actually be really beneficial to helping someone be more of an intuitive eater and really get in tune with their body. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've seen it be like, oh, my God, I can't trust my body. Like my body's out of control. Like what is happening to it? And so it's interesting how it can be so different for different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it can be different for different people. And if it can switch, it can alternate, you know, when, you know, it's sort of that idea of it's not, you know, all or nothing. Some days you're feeling like, okay, this is good. I've got this. I can be intuitive. And other days, it's, you know, you can be feeling fear, because there's a lot of changes going on. Right. You know, and that sort of that speaks to that, you know, that message that a lot of us kind of come to internalize that when things are feeling, you know, out of sort of out of hand, we can turn to our bodies and sort of try to regain a sense of control through diet and, and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely, you know, it doesn't have to be feeling one way or feeling the other way. I think like the most important thing for women to realize is that like, there's no wrong way to be feeling. Right. Such a good point. Yeah. 
And the other thing I wonder about the weight gain, too, is like how much of that is really weight restoration for people who were dieting before, you know, like there's probably not a lot of information on that and how that comes into like how that factors into the equation of your body just sort of being like, no, we need to get to this stage where, you know, we can actually have a healthy pregnancy. And so, you know, weight fluctuation is going to be very different and might be more for someone who was dieting before or thinking that they weren't dieting, but was actually dieting. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, there isn't a lot of, like you're saying, like research on that. However, from speaking to some colleagues in this space, especially who are, you know, registered dietitians, I have really heard a lot about how that is, you know, that is really a thing for women who have sort of these pre-pregnancy, highly restrictive diets that their bodies, yeah, are really, you know, in that mode of trying to heal nutritionally and then, you know, to support the growth of the baby. Mm-hmm. And that that weight gain, like if, if doctors are sort of flagging them for excess weight gain or what, you know, what they're sort of saying is above a normal, you know, which already is something I bristle at, but a normal amount of weight gain that that is potentially attributed to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so what's your advice to someone who is struggling with their body changing while pregnant? Yeah. So I think, you know, as I talked a little bit about earlier, just sort of trying to be non-judgmental about the feelings that you are experiencing around negative body image when you're pregnant, that this is something that's incredibly common. And I think a lot of women struggle with that because they sort of have this idea maybe that they should be so happy that they're pregnant, that this isn't really right for them to be concerned about their bodies and to be, you know, vain in that way, especially for women if they have had fertility struggles or, you know, whether they did or not, that this is something that they should just be feeling incredibly blessed for and that it's not okay for them to be struggling with their body image. Yeah. And so first, just like creating space for yourself to be compassionate for the way that you're feeling, which is something that's incredibly hard for people in the first place, you know, just to sort of accept the way that they're feeling and to try to to treat themselves in, you know, a loving way, you know, and the other thing that I think that can be helpful for women in is especially, you know, when you're doing body image work with people when they're not pregnant, sort of looking at appreciating the, the function of your body and appreciating it for what it's doing for you. And if you can tap into that when you're pregnant, you know, that can be really powerful. Your body is it's sort of the most primal experience. Your body is growing a human being. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And it's doing all of these things automatically. It's doing all of these things without you doing a thing. It's growing a person. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be really healing for people. Yeah. If they're able to get into that space. One thing I've noticed too is, you know, the imagery around pregnancy is like the imagery we see in the media with any kind of, you know, health and beauty products or just anything that's geared towards women. So it's always, you know, like young, thin, white women with these, you know, just boobs and belly, no stretch marks, no cellulite. And, you know, when you're doing research, which I think a lot of us are in this phase, because I don't know, I don't speak for myself, but I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what's going on. The number of things I've Googled in the last (laughs) few months has exceeded my lifetime of Googling. But every article has this imagery. And I think that that can have a huge impact on our body image throughout this process, too. What do you think about that? 
Oh, absolutely. 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 I mean, it's hard to piece apart, you know, when, when I sort of do body image work with people, you know, I like to kind of, it's good to understand, like, where did all the messages come from that kind of made up this way you feel about your body? And, you know, it's a lot of those messages are coming from stuff that's external coming from just what you're saying about seeing images of celebrities and, you know, how little weight do they gain when they're pregnancy and this kind of like horrible thing I've seen on social media around like this belly only pregnancy. Like, what is that? Ugh, I have not even heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's crazy. You know, our bodies are, are meant to change. You know, and that's kind of like one of the big pieces about body image, right, is like just understanding and accepting that like, your body is not meant to stay the same your whole life. Yeah, it's supposed to change. So the images that we're seeing from diet culture and, you know, of women when they're pregnant and kind of like minimizing how they can minimize the changes to their body is like, that's just not fair. So I think that there is something to kind of exposing yourself to images of different kinds of bodies, you know, pregnant bodies, and then especially in the postpartum period, exposing yourself to imagery of real women's bodies after having a baby, you know, stretch marks, sagging skin, whatever, that it's all that this is normal. These are normal things that happen to women's bodies. And we, we need to be celebrating the changes instead of trying to minimize them. And do you have any accounts that you really like to follow, like off the top of your head that because I feel like that we just we need so many more. <laughs> I found yeah, a couple, we, but we do need a lot more. And I'm yeah. sort of I'm going to blank on like specific Instagram accounts while we're having this conversation. But yeah, like, I know there's fourth trimester bodies, yeah, I think it's yeah. called or or they might have changed to stop censoring motherhood. I can't remember if that's yeah, the same account or two different ones. One. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, and they're popping up all the time. Like I saw it flagged something the other day that was like, a, you know, a hashtag movement around realistic images of post baby bodies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna, <laughs> if I think of them, I'll, I'll let you know after the fact. And you yeah, can, yeah, I'll link them in the show notes. But, yeah, but definitely, that is something that I found to be powerful for women for their body image, you know, sort of acceptance piece when they're not pregnant. And we definitely do need to be celebrating like more diverse images of women and, and what women's bodies really look like. Mm-hmm. when they're having a baby. Yeah, because it seems like the only postpartum bodies that are celebrated are the ones that go back to looking the same as before the person was pregnant, which is so damaging. Right. Like, that whole message is so harmful. Yeah, I mean, and that sort of speaks to kind of like this, you know, bigger piece with social media in general and, you know, and, and how easy it is to kind of compare yourself to other women that, you know, most of the time what people are showing on social media is this sort of like highly edited version of themselves and not, you know, not really representing authenticity, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. So what's your advice to people who find themselves comparing themselves to other moms or even just people? I think we can parallel it. But in this particular circumstance, you know, it's such a vulnerable time postpartum too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard because, so social media is a big place for comparison. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of it happens. And, you know, on one hand, I want to be able to say to women, like, really, if you find that that's harmful, if you find yourself scrolling through your Instagram feed or looking at Facebook and seeing these picture perfect images of women and their babies, you know, stop. 
But then on the other hand, this can be a really, you know, the, the whole period of time, pregnancy, and especially postpartum can be a really isolating time for women. Mm-hmm. And turning to social media is from what I've seen and from what I, you know, I found with women, it can be really important in feeling connected, you know, especially if they're up late at night or they're breastfeeding and wanting to be able to have that connection on their smartphones, you know, to feel connected. And so I think like with anything, you can't just say, you know, to turn off the social media or don't engage. Because I think like with anything, it's learning how to have sort of a healthy relationship with that. Yeah. And, you know, if you do, you know, one of the things I would always talk about or I would talk about with women with, with eating disorder recovery is like recognizing the eating when the eating disorder voice is coming out mm-hmm. and sort of being able to distinguish like that's the eating disorder voice. Like it, it can be very helpful for women in that place to sort of externalize that. So so that, you know, extends to, you know, you can call that that voice the self-critical voice or the inner critic or whatever you want. You want to give it a name, you can give it a name, you know. Yeah. So when you're looking at images and you find yourself going to that place of feeling less than, if you can kind of look at those thoughts for what they are and realize that this is this external, this is this voice. This is the self-critical voice or this unhealthy voice telling me that you know, I should be doing this and this and trying to look more like these other women, you know, if you can externalize it, sometimes that can open up, that can open up sort of a pathway for you to be able to then sort of strengthen your healthy voice, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. It puts us in a much better position to be able to respond to it because then it's something that we can separate from ourselves. And it's not just the, you know, us, you know, it's not just our voice. And yeah, I, I mean, I love how you said it's important to have a healthy relationship with it because yeah, we can't eliminate, you know, the culture is probably not going to change in our lifetime. We can't live in a bubble. We have to, you know, still see magazines on the racks or commercials on the television or, you know, ads on social media. And I think it is really important to be curious with that stuff, you know, try to eliminate as much as you can that's unnecessary, but really learn how to work through it instead. I think that that's, that's a really important point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Who else has tried Fab Fit Fun? You're going to want to check it out because you know I'm all about treating yourself. If you don't already know about it, Fab Fit Fun is a seasonal box with full size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Their spring editor's box is amazing. It includes awesome products like a free people eye mask beauty and skincare products such as a Tarte Double Duty Leave Your Mark eyeshadow palette and a Rachel Pally clutch. And that's just the beginning of it. Don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code REBEL, R-E-B-E-L-L-E, so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com fun.com and use the code rebel r-e-b-e-l-l-e you deserve to treat yourself let's talk about postpartum a bit because i think that that's like we're sort of talking about it now and i'd love to talk about it more but you know when you were kind of going through this or what you've noticed like obviously like there's so much pressure to kind of like get your body back to where it was you know what are your thoughts on all that Yeah. So firstly, I think this idea of sort of getting our bodies back, you know, I always like to say, you know, your body didn't go anywhere. What does this be getting your body back? And, you know, so that's sort of the first, (laughs) the first thing that, but then just sort of also understanding that, you know, for me and for, I think for a lot of women that it makes a lot of sense 
why you would sort of feel this pull to want to go back. And a lot of that has to do with sort of the discomfort around being a new mom Mm -hmm. and that identity piece of who is this new person. And the pull to, you know, kind of want to go back is sort of to feel a sense of comfort again, to feel less vulnerable, to feel like things aren't constantly changing that you don't know what to do with. And yeah, so sort of just understanding that it's normal. That's a normal feeling to want to go back, to want to go back to a a place of comfort, especially when you have a new life that you're responsible for caring for and you have no idea what that means. Yeah, absolutely. I've been giving so much thought to that recently because it is just, it's so much more than just, you know, wanting your appearance to look a certain way. It's really about reclaiming some sense of identity or a piece of who you were before. I feel like that there's a, and a way to cope with obviously the discomfort, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, obviously there is, like we just talked about this huge piece of it, which is the external messages that we're getting from all around us with the media and the bounce back and the going to the you know, the baby bounce back boot camp and that we're being sort of sold this message that now that we're done having baby, it's up to us to kind of like erase <laughs> evidence that that happened, that yeah. pregnancy occurred, which is sort of just ridiculous. And so kind of like being able to, to understand it for what it's worth that like you became a mom and that you're not, things aren't meant to go back. Things are meant to move forward and kind of, you know, and that can be really figuring out what does that mean can be really uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of like, you know, it's opportunity to have some patience with yourself to kind of feel out who you want this person to be, what you see for yourself in motherhood to kind of figure that out for yourselves. No, and just that you don't have to have all the answers that especially, you know, for women that are used to kind of like knowing, feeling in control all the time and kind of like knowing what's going on that it can be really jarring, but that can be an opportunity to kind of like just sort of explore that for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it really is like a rediscovery of mm-hmm. of identity, because it shifts, even if like body isn't a factor, you know, even if like your appearance was never really a part of your identity, I still think that you probably go through this process of sort of being like, who am I like what, you know, like what, who am I now? (laughs) You know, I don't know. That's just what I think is probably going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, and so, you know, I talked a little bit about like this parallel to like from people are recovering from an eating disorder and that being a big piece of their identity. And then and then having to sort of shift to figure out who they are when they become a new parent. And, you know, I think that people sometimes can get a little stuck when their identity is sort of hinged on any one one thing, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, their career, their, you know, or their bodies, like it is for a lot of women, but if it's not their body, you know, that can be woven into it. But, you know, I'm the whatever, you know, I'm a therapist or, you know, a coach or whatever it is, that's, that's someone's identity. And, you know, sort of that's where I think people get into a little bit of trouble, like shifting with changes. And especially in this, this time when you're becoming a parent, and you can't be like fully invested in whatever that old identity was, and then being able to kind of what I like to do with people is sort of take a look at really what are their values? Mm -hmm. What are the things that they value that they really truly value as having a part of their lives and having that sort of become their, you know, become that that's really their identity. Their identity is their values. It's the way that they want to interact with the world. It's the kind of impression they want to have on other people and their relationships that it's not, you know, being 
that yes, being a mom is part of that or being for me being a therapist is part of that. But it's about so much more than Mm -hmm. that. Yes, that's so huge. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no, no. Values work is is like a fundamental piece of what I do with clients as well, because it's so important. And that's what really gives us a sense of who we are and also what brings us a sense of fulfillment in our life. And I think then as other aspects of our life fluctuate, we can always come back to that because it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's our foundation. Right. And then, you know, also like when we were talking about sort of noticing the critical voice, you can notice when you're really solid on who you are and what your values are. Like you can notice if that voice is in line with those. Mm -hmm. And that can make it easier to kind of shut off the self-critical if you know like, oh, well, that that's not really in line with my values. Yes, exactly. something external that's sort of talking at me that's not really a part of me. Right. It's taking you away from your values Mm -hmm. more often than not. Yeah. So good. You know, in one post on your website, you mentioned that negative postpartum body image can be a contributing factor in the development of postpartum depression. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think that's, I had never heard of that. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but... I'm curious to know more. So there are these studies that sort of really show that negative body image is linked to depression in the postpartum period. And it's kind of one of those things where you take a step back and you're like, okay, of course, that sort of makes sense. But, you know, what's really going on there? I think, you know, even like more shocking to me were some of the studies that I was seeing around just how prevalent You know, when you look at women who are struggling with postpartum depression, it's extremely common that there is a history of an eating disorder. Mm. And, you know, that that's something that I felt like was really not being showed enough attention in the maternal mental health field, which is sort of where my passion kind of for connecting the two came out of. Yeah. And when you look at sort of the negative postpartum body image and then depression, I mean, I think that there's probably some personality characteristics that are coming out of that or that really contribute to that. You know, women who maybe have, you know, this is common in like the disordered eating population, the perfectionistic quality and really like a less of a ability to tolerate distress around that or on things not going perfectly. Mm. And if you are a woman who sort of has struggled with that in the past and then coming into postpartum, if you're being a perfectionist and being a new mom, they don't really go very well together. Yes. You know, that can be really setting you up for disappointment because there's so much that happens in that with being a new mother that's out of your control and, you know, with your baby. And so I think that that's why sort of the personality profile of women who typically tend to struggle with disordered eating, I think that that's probably why there's a lot of overlap in those two areas with sort of the the body image piece and then the the depression. Yeah, it's huge. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know, and that's why I think it's really, that's, you know, another reason why I'm so passionate about this is just, you know, and kind of lift helping people, you know, kind of to try to lift the stigma around mental health. Firstly, I think, you know, around, you know, postpartum depression and anxiety, but also in trying to work with women around feeling more able to advocate for themselves, like with their healthcare providers, you know, like I talked a little bit about earlier about my own struggles about, you know, talking to their doctors about, you know, trying to be open with them to let them know I did, this is something that's a part of my past, or I have struggled with an eating disorder. You know, can we please try to, you know, set up a, you know, and a lot of times it's really being more proactive yourself around identifying that and then getting the support of a therapist and perhaps a dietitian to, you know, set yourself up for, to try to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The best way that you can. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, because obviously you have two kids and I think self-care is probably always really hard for new moms. So, you know, how do you incorporate that into your life or, you know, what's your advice for others who find that really hard to do? Yeah. So I think that, you know, we talk a lot about self-care. I hear a lot about self-care. And I think that somehow self-care has gotten this reputation as being something that's a luxury or, you know, that it's going and getting a pedicure or a massage or, you know, going out with your friends or whatever it is. And all those things are really important and can be a part of self-care. But I, you know, I, for myself and with others, really try to talk about self-care as being like necessary nurturing. Mm -hmm. That if you do not, you know, if you're not taking care of those things, of self-care, if you're not attending to self-care, that you cannot really take care of other people. And this is, you know, extremely important when you're becoming a new parent and you're a new mom, if you're not so really trying to go back to the basics with self-care, especially when you're a new mom and you're sitting at home with a newborn, you know, what can you do? Well, you can try to do really basic things. You can try to, as best you can, you know, feed yourself have a nurturing meal, you know, in whatever way that looks like for you. You know, it can be really hard to do that, but, you know, really trying to set yourself up for the best way you can for feeding yourself, whether that's having, you know, food delivered or when people offer to, you know, bring food, accepting help. Yes. Huge piece. A lot of women find it really hard, especially when they're used to kind of being the do everything for yourself, not rely on other people. I mean, if people are offering to or they ask if they can come over after you have a baby, you know, because they want to come and see your baby, you can say yes. And it would be really awesome. Like, could you pick me up a sandwich? Yeah. You know, being able to lean on other people and not and that's hard. But, you know, really being able to see it as a necessity. Mm-hmm. You deserve to be helped out during this time frame and taken care of. So, you know, really just going back to the basics of trying to say no as much as possible, like understand your limitations and, you know, say no to things that you really don't have time for that are really not unnecessary in that moment, setting aside time for it to actually rest, to actually sleep. You know, people say sleep when the baby sleeps. And that is (laughs) sort of, I think, one of those myths of motherhood, because a lot of times women feel really, really like it's hard to do that, or there's a million things they need to do when the baby's taking a nap. But really challenge yourself to understand what's necessary and what's not necessary and just go back to the basics with Mm self-care sleep food like really basic stuff yeah yeah I heard somebody say and I think it was somebody in in my Facebook group when I was kind of talking about this with them who said you know people are going to want to come and visit the baby but say okay if you come you come and I want you to do this for me like actually just start delegating things so that it's not just all these social visits it's people come and can you just you know wash the sheets on my bed or make me a meal (laughs) so so that you're telling people what you need and being really unapologetic about what you need because I think as you said like yeah there's this expectation that we should do it all. But historically, like we've had villages of people to help us. (laughs) You know, when a person's had a baby, like there's, you know, like generations of the family or just a lot of people around to help. And in our current culture, it's not like that. And a lot of the onus just goes on one person, which is ridiculous to think that you would be able to do that on your own. 
Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I'm I'm really I'm really excited to see that like there's some awareness around that getting out there. And that actually people are talking about that on social media and other places about sort of this idea that we weren't meant to do this alone and being able to kind of rely on community and find your own community of support. And, and you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Like how people aren't living, people don't live near their extended families anymore, etc. Mm-hmm. But how it is really important to be able to lean on other people and find other people that can be there for you and that have your best interests in mind. And, and yes, and even, you know, setting up, having a list of things, maybe sitting there, like if you're going to come over, yes, throw in the load of laundry. Yeah. Here's, here's how you can be helpful. Because people would happily do it. Like I was like, oh, I feel bad that I didn't do more when I visited people with babies. I'm like, I wish they just told me, but now I, I would just be like, okay, what's a task that I can do for you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is such an important discussion. So I really thank you for coming here to talk about this. Where can people find more of you? Yes. So the best place is really on my website where I talk about my therapy services, which is carlacorn.com. Carla with a C and and corn with a K. Perfect. (laughs) And I'm on social media on Instagram at Carla Corn Therapy and on Facebook at Carla Corn LMFT. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying kind of finding my voice around this topic and sharing with other people and kind of engaging with other people around this is really, really important stuff. So yeah, it's so important. It's much needed. So I'm so glad you're doing this work. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much, Summer. I really appreciate it and feel well. Thank you. I am. I'm doing good. You're really good. Rock on. I'm so grateful to have met Carla and to connect with other individuals like herself who are, you know, helping people with pre and postnatal body image and disordered eating from a health at every size and intuitive eating perspective. It's just so needed and so refreshing. After the show, Carla sent me about five or six Instagram accounts to follow that show motherhood from an unfiltered perspective and include a lot of body diversity. So I have linked to those in the show notes at summerinandin.com forward slash 121 because that is the show notes for this particular episode. And you can check that out there and go and follow those accounts. It is so refreshing to see that because as I said in this episode, it is just really hard to find diverse images of pregnant people. I know, uh, I think Plus Size Birth is another account to follow that I'm not sure if they have an Instagram, but they have a website. Anyways, if you have any other suggestions, or if you know of more accounts to follow, definitely hit me up, message me, send me a message uh, via social media, via Facebook, via Instagram. Uh, I would love to include it in the show notes and spread the word via my social media platforms. Thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you soon. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. 